Man, why don't you pray? Why don't you pray with me this morning? And so God, I pray that you would remind us of this great truth. Remind us of your love for us. <laughs> and that in that love and by that love, motivated and empowered by that love, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come and manifest that love toward us so that we do not need to wonder this morning about the love of God towards us. We know you love us because of the work of your son. I pray that you would revive our weary hearts. I pray that you would stir up amongst us a fresh faith, a fresh zeal, a fresh vibrance, a fresh belief in you. And that as a result, you would stir up a fresh wave of obedience, that we would be the people of God, that we would bear the name Christian well, that we would represent our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with the rest of our lives here on earth. Lord, that's going to take a miracle of your Holy Spirit to prepare us for such a work. And so I pray that you send that Holy Spirit now who already inhabits us, but send that Holy Spirit in power to speak to us, to minister to us, to change us, to remind us of the truth of your word and to give us the faith to believe you and to obey you. We pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. You may take your seats. Well, good morning, church, wherever you may be joining us this morning, whether you are in one of our congregations, well done for making it against uh, the freezing rain uh, this morning to be with us. Or if you're at home watching this online, uh, welcome to you. And I pray that the Lord blesses you abundantly as we share together from the Word. We're in week two of our vision series, and I'm so grateful that our vision series is, our vision is so simple and so biblical so that it can transcend things like 2020 and politics and pandemics and all of those things. We're, we're a simple people with a simple desire and a simple vision. We want to love God in increasing measure. We want to love the church. We want to love the city of Austin and we want to love the nations of the world. I do want to give you a heads up that in the next two weeks, over two Sundays, we'll be focusing on the love the city element on that, and we'll be emphasizing two particular aspects of ways that we as believers can manifest that love for our city in this day and age. Next week, we'll be talking about race and racial reconciliation in our divided city and how we as believers can manifest a great love for God and His church and this city through the way that we love our neighbors across color lines. And then the week after that, we'll be talking about the distinctly Christian ethic that is a pro-life ethic. How can we be a people who love the unborn? How can we be a people who are pro-life from womb to tomb in everything that we do and with everything that we have? Today, we're gonna talk about how we are called to be a people who love the church. And if it's ever been needed, it is needed today. In a week where we have seen some of the most jarring footage that many of us have ever seen, footage of rioters storming the US Capitol, which was jarring enough, but as a follower of Christ to see the associated iconography of giant crosses on the steps of the Capitol, not raised by those resisting the riot, but by those advancing it, it was jarring and disquieting, 
and upsetting to our souls. It felt like a movie in some ways, but it wasn't a movie. But I do think it can serve as a mirror if we're brave enough to have a good hard look at what it says about where we are as a people. It was like the curtain was pulled back on the syncretistic and idolatrous thinking of Christian nationalism and its truly terrible outcomes if it is followed to its logical conclusions. And we, as uncomfortable as it is, as the people of God, have to deal with the reckoning, with the sullying and the trampling of the reputation of our king and his people. What we saw on Wednesday, friends, is not the way of Jesus Christ. But I am persuaded that what is needed in response is for the people of Jesus not to shrink back, but actually to advance in the way that we ought to have done in the first place, to actually start being the people of Jesus. There's not less church that we need, but more vibrant church. We need churches to humbly resist through the ancient Christian acts of neighbor love and holiness and gentleness and kindness and unity. We need the church to rise up, not in an effort to attain nationalistic power, but in the posture that the scriptures call us to of sojourners and exiles who are the most willing to love and to serve the least of these in our land that God has called us to. I wrote about this a little more fully in a letter to the West Congregation, which I serve this week. And we will publish that letter on the church blog tomorrow, I believe, if you want to read a little bit more about our thinking around that. I would encourage you to read that, to consider it, to pray, and then to join us as we pursue the way of Jesus together as a church. Because we have a unique moment in history in which we can do that. Friends, We love the church. The elders of this church love the church. We need the local church. Many of you nodding your head saying, yes, we love the church. We need the church. But what about when we don't? (laughs) See, I grew up in the church. It has been the community in which some of my happiest and saddest memories have had their context, their background, and their cause. I confess that there have been seasons and still sometimes are occasional moments when I think, when I think that it would be easier and more effective for me to follow Jesus without having to be part of the people that bear his name, but all too often shame his reputation. The truth is, the church as a people, as a collective, can be difficult to love. And I mean that both globally and locally. I mean that on a universal level and on a personal level. Globally, we have seen across the years and have seen afresh in recent days and weeks and months, scandal after scandal and failure after failure from the church. We see political posturing and alignment that the stark and cold lights of history has often revealed as aligning with the wrong side. We see abuse after abuse. Oh, it's heartbreaking covered up, brushed aside. We see abusers protected while victims are left uncared for. We see financial folly and mismanagement as as Christianity embraces the tools and trappings of empire and Christian leaders, to our shame, toss aside the Sermon on the Mount in exchange for the accumulation of camels that have very little chance 
of getting through the tiny holes of needles that Jesus warned us about. Oh Lord, there is no denying we can be a mess of a people. Locally, many of us have had personal experiences with churches and the people in churches that have wounded us and scarred us and hurt us, sometimes deeply. For many of us, we want to love the church as a concept as we read the New Testament, but we really do struggle to love the manifestation of that concept in the people that God puts around us because we struggle to love those people because they've injured us. I grew up in a church where my dad served as a lay elder. He worked a full-time job and then served as a marketplace elder another 20, sometimes 30 hours a week. And it was beautiful and really difficult to watch at the same time. I watched him come home repeatedly exhausted from elders meetings and counseling sessions. I watched him guard us against knowing what was going on because he wanted us to love the church even when she was being unlovely. I saw church discipline cases go wrong Attempted church splits that impacted our family, financial scandals, you name it. And I got to see our family bear the scars of all of those things. But I also got to watch my dad baptize people and marry people and celebrate salvation with people. Churches are glorious messes most days. (laughs) We just are. Church community can be disappointing and hurtful. I know it. I have felt it. I have caused it. At times, I've said my fair share of sorries over the years for the ways that I've sinned against people in community, and I will have many more. Just this past few weeks, I've heard from two people I care about deeply who have expressed their disappointment in my personal pastoral care in the season of COVID-19, and they went wrong. They went wrong. The level of my care towards them was disappointing, and I hurt them. We can be. (laughs) And we are a deeply disappointing people at times. See, the reason for this global and personal difficulty is that the church is not just some physical structure. The church isn't a building, although we have experienced the value of being able to gather in one over this last year in a fresh way. It isn't purely an organization either. But listen, we don't swing the other way. The church also isn't just an ethereal concept in the sky or an abstract construct that has no definition. She is actually defined in her simplest terms, a people. A people who are called out and gathered together under one banner. That is the word for church that is most commonly used in the New Testament. The word is ecclesia. It means a gathering, a collection, an assembly of God's called out people. And that's where it gets messy. Because my experience and the world's experience is that people tend to be pretty messy. We have a long history that bears that out. There is a one-to-one correlation between people and mess from the very first people. And there doesn't seem to be any exceptions, well, except for this one guy, to quote Homer Simpson um, in his view of Christology, which was remarkably accurate. The Bible does a good job of telling us why this is, though. We sin against God and against others. And so just as sin is added when you get married and have kids, I thought I was a bad sinner on my own. And then I put some other sinners in my house and realized that sin just increases more and more. So this happens when you put a bunch of sinners together in a community. If you think about it that way, we're actually doing remarkably well in some strange sort of measurement. And so what do we do with this? How, if it's our vision to love the church, How do we love this sometimes unlovely acting thing? 
Do we just distance ourselves from her? Do we just deconstruct the whole concept and decide that we're gonna follow Jesus Christ in a new and fresh way without any affiliation to the church? Well, we can't. Now, if you read the New Testament, honestly, you can't. Eugene Peterson, one of my pastoral heroes, waded into this ages ago when he said, there's nobody who doesn't have problems with the church because there's sin in the church, but there's no other place to be a Christian. What Peterson was pressing into is that this is the tool, the community given to us as followers of Jesus Christ through which we experience so much of what it means to be a follower of Christ. To be a Christian is to be called out by God and he doesn't just call us out as individuals and leave us on our own. He calls out a people for himself, an ecclesia, God's called out once. And it is within that people, that community that we walk out and work out what it means to follow Jesus together. This is part of what the apostle Peter was getting at when he said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You see this all collective, together, plural, a people for his possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. It's the mechanism through which the glory that we are called to live is expressed. Look at what he says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So to be a follower of Christ is to be a part of a people, part of God's ecclesia, part of the church. That isn't the difficult part. The difficult part is, well, how do we love that? How do we love the church? How can we be a meaningful part of a group of people who we sometimes really don't want to associate with. I have three things, very briefly and very simply for us to consider today. My hope is just to move your heart just a little bit for God's church by the power of the Holy Spirit and then to give you one or two very practical steps that you can take forward even in the midst of COVID-19 and the difficulties that we have gathering together. So how do we grow in our love for the church? Well, we grow in love for the church when we remember that. Here are the three things that the church is precious to God, that the church has potential to display the love of God, and that the church has access to the supernatural power of God. The church is precious to God, the church actually has a unique potential to display the love of God, and the church has access to the supernatural power of God in a way that no other organism or entity in the world does. First, the church, is precious to God. Friends, an honest reading of the scripture shows us that God loves the church. He loves his called out people deeply. Look at me quickly, look with me quickly at Acts 9, where Jesus appears to a young man named Saul. Now, Saul's um, uh, business, his job is persecuting the church. It's uh, opposing the people of God. That's what it says on his business card, and he's excellent at it. And he's, and he's meeting all of his KPIs, and he's advancing his cause of trying to shut down this movement of God's people in the church. And then Jesus arrives on the scene and addresses him and speaks to him and says something so Fascinating. Look at, look at Acts 9. It says, Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, don't you love that we used to be called that? The way. 
What were they known by? They were known by the way that they imitated Jesus Christ, the way that they lived, the, by, by, their, by their actions. And if he found anyone who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. Who are you, Lord? Saul said. Now his whole worldview is being thrown for a loop right now. And so he's going like, don't say Jesus, don't say Jesus, don't say Jesus. I picked the other team. Please don't say that this is Jesus. And he says, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. I love this text. I love this moment. Jesus says to Saul that he is persecuting him. He says, why are you persecuting me? But who is Saul persecuting? The church. Friends, but listen. Christ doesn't see a separation between himself and his people. He takes that persecution personally. The scriptures will go on to say that part of this is because salvation is described as us being hidden in Christ. It's impossible to tell where, where, where we um, end and he begins because he's hidden us in his righteousness. And so any attack on Christ's church is an attack on Christ because he loves the church. Friends, have you ever felt defensiveness for someone you love? Like someone's attacking someone you love and you just get all bowed up, you get all bristled up and you just get ready to defend. Uh, I had a prolonged season of dealing with a very difficult church member once. It was brutal, but it was okay because it was all coming in my direction and I was able to just humbly just listen and, 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 and take these accusations, but it was difficult, but I was doing my best to push through it in a godly way until the day that he made some comments about my wife. <laughs> then everything changed. My whole posture changed. Suddenly the rest of the elders are going like, okay, okay, okay. You need to go sit in your office for a little bit because it just changed my whole experience of it. Um, why? I adore her. And no one gets to have a go at her. Well, Christ feels that way about the church. And now you might go, well, that's a bit of a stretch of an illustration, but it isn't. Look at how Paul speaks of how Christ loves the church in Ephesians 5, right? We, we focus on the, on the instruction here to husbands and wives, but, but the more remarkable thing, according to Paul, is the metaphor that he uses about Christ in the church. He says, husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. What an instruction, husbands. Why did Christ do that? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this. Listen, hey, even as, as I've spent some time talking about the difficult reputation of the church, look at how Christ gives himself to present her. Look at how Christ presents the church. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. That's how Christ feels about the church. He loves the church and gives himself up for her to sanctify her, to cleanse her, and to present her. Yes, that same her that we have said is hard to love, flawless and faultless on that last day. What an incredible image. Scripture calls us the church, the bride, a few times over, here and in Isaiah and in 2 Corinthians and in Revelation. We are Christ's beautiful Bride, oh, what a thought, what dignity, what dignity in the church. Friends, you wanna test a friendship? 
Want to test one? Go tell a friend that you think he is awesome, that his wife is terrible. Bro, I like you, but your wife, my goodness. She is just the worst. <laughs> we do this to Christ all the time. Want to get in a fist fight that goes on YouTube? Try publicly expressing disappointment in the appearance of a bride on her wedding day. <laughs> we all know the accepted response to when seeing a bride on the wedding day is you've all just got to go, you look incredible. Why? She spent days trying to get ready for that moment. No one's allowed to go like, nah, nah that's, not, that's not what I hoped for, right? Nah, that's going to cause, and rightly so, conflict. I've conducted dozens of weddings. I know for sure you'll get taken out by that response. And we do this with Christ's bride all the time. If we want to love God, we must love what God loves. And he loves the church so much so that he gave himself up for her. Just think of some of the other metaphors that are used for the church which express her worth. In 1 Timothy 5, 1 John 3, we're told that the church is, is God's precious family. In 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that the church is God's new temple that he's very happy to dwell there. In Hebrews 3, we're told that the church is God's house. That's his address. That's where he wants to take up residency. In 1 Corinthians 12, we are told that the church is the very body of Christ. He doesn't distinguish himself from her in any way, shape, or form. Just quickly glance, just as I land this point, at Acts 20, 28, before we move on. This is an instruction to elders in a church, one that sobers me a great deal, but it's informative about the church's value. Look what it says. This is Paul talking to the, the Ephesian elders before he moves on. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Friends, we know in our economy, that the value you have for something can be shown by the price that you are willing to pay for it. Anyone try to buy a house in Austin recently? Okay. There's a value, there's a number that they publish, but it means nothing. What really matters is what are people prepared to pay for this? That's the true value of that property. Well, Jesus says, you want to know the true value of the church? I purchased her. I ransomed her. I obtained the church. With what? with his own blood. How dare we diminish the value, if any of us are there, how dare we diminish the value of Christ's bride. Friends, we must love what God loves. We must value what he values, and he loves the church. She is precious to him, okay? Secondly, how do we grow in our love for the church? Well, we remember that the church has a unique potential to display the love of God. The church has a unique potential to display the love of God. We've spoken at length about the ways that the church is failing to live out that call, but what if we stopped for a second and asked, well, what if she did? <laughs> what if the church did well? Now, what if we did the things the New Testament called us to do? What if we just lived out some of the most basic calls of Christian community? What would that look like? What would happen? Well, according to Ephesians 3, it is one of the most profound things that the world ever gets to see. Uh, the context of Ephesians 3 is that the Gentiles and the Jews who have been separated for millennia are now brought together in one unique community called the church. It's the only place where there is these intermingling of ethnicities and, and previously held religious worldviews and, and associated 
prejudices, prejudices and practices of separation in this new community they brought together. God had broken down a centuries old wall of hostility, Ephesians 2 tells us, and made one new family united under the banner of Christ's righteousness. And right here as Paul segues into how we can live that out in Ephesians 4, which I'll look at in a second, he first asked them to consider the cosmic potential of them actually doing this. Just look at this. This language is so profound. Ephesians 3 from verse 8. It says, this grace, this grace that has brought Jews and Gentiles together, was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so. Why is this ministry given to Paul? So that he can minister it to Gentiles and bring them together in a new community known as the church. What is the effect of the church? This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church. Through the church, not apart from the church, not a church adjacent, not a sub-ministry of the church. Through the church is how this takes place to the rulers and the authorities in the heavens. Oh man, friends, stop, just wait. That's Paul's highfalutin language. Let's just break it down. It's just for a bunch of simpletons like me. When a group of people who are not like each other manage to get together and love each other somehow in a mutual pursuit of Christ and live together in a community of faith, then the heavenly beings are astonished. So much so uh, because it puts God's wisdom on display in the heavens. Oh God, why don't you just show yourself to the world? Well, I'd love to, if the church would just be the church, then the heavens themselves would look on and go, oh my goodness, isn't God wise? He can do this, he can bring unlike people together in one community, oh, the wisdom of God through the church, if we would just do it. In the church and in church community, we have an opportunity to show off the grace and the mercy and the unparalleled wisdom of God through Jesus Christ to a watching world. And not just to a watching world, but to dumbstruck demons and to amazed angelic beings. It's on a cosmic scale. That's our stage. That's what's at stake. It is a magnificent thing to be part of the church because to be part of the church is to be part of the display of the manifold, multifaceted wisdom of God. Oh, friends, that is why it has been rightly said that the church has many critics, but no rival. No other organism has this potential. There is quite simply nothing else that possesses so much divine potential on a cosmic scale. Well, how do we do this? How do we get the heavenlies to go, oh, the wisdom of God, how do we live this potential? Well, this is exactly what Paul begins to outline in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5, where people humbly do what? Submit to each other and love each other through thick and thin. It doesn't look dramatic, but the potential of it is cosmic. You won't make the news headlines, but you'll have angelic beings dumbstruck and awestruck when you do it. Paul says, because of this potential in Ephesians 4 verse 1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you because of this potential to walk worthy of the calling you have received. How do we do that? With all humility and gentleness. Not with might and dominance and force. No, no. 
humility, and gentleness. This amazes the heavenlies with patience, (laughs) bearing with one another in love, making, oh, world, listen. You want the church to fight back against the world? Here's how. Making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit (laughs) through the bond of peace. Is that said of us? If it was, even the angels would be amazed. How do we work worthy, walk worthy of this call? We're humble. We're gentle. We're patient. We bear with one another in love when they fail us. We make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace with people with whom we disagree. <laughs> but who we are united to under the blood of Christ. And so friends, I'm passionate about this. For all the church's failings, we have seen this potential on display in patches. We saw it in the early church. Go read Acts 2, go read Acts 4. We saw it in the scattered, persecuted communities that were birthed from there. We saw it in faithful communities that loved each other and held the line and outlasted empires as a result in spite of crusades and wars and pandemics and slavery and colonialism and oppression. The church just somehow managed to survive even those things, even when she was on the wrong side of many of those historic moments. I've seen it in this last year. If anything ought to have diminished and dimmed the potential of the church, it would have been our inability together. But I've seen glimmers of glory that stun the heavens and warm my soul. Small groups of people serving each other and growing as a result. This local church raising more than $800,000 through our Mercy Fund and giving it to the neediest of people in the year that was 2020. The Leicester household started a small group over the summer, first online and then in our yard, sweating like crazy, right? Going like, hey, online at least at AC. Um, And then when it got cooler, moving inside with masks and now when the numbers have spiked going back online, but we just started this group and said, let's just hang out together. There have been people all over the political spectrum and life stage and ideologies of various sorts. And you know what I've just seen? They don't agree, but they love each other. Pray for each other, care for each other, invite one another into failings and vulnerabilities and needs with gentleness and patience. In 2020, that's a miracle. (laughs) And the heavenly beings go like, amen to that. We could not create that. That is astonishing. In a Facebook divided world that people like that would hang out, united by nothing but their love for Jesus Christ. That's the multifaceted wisdom of God manifest to the heavens. Friends, don't be done with the church. Think of the potential she possesses. Okay, I'm out of time. Last one. The church also has supernatural access. It has access to the supernatural power of God. You might be looking around at this point going, "Um, I was with you in the parts when you spoke about how unimpressive the church is. To now say that she is supernaturally powerful. What do you mean by powerful? Well, God in his wisdom and grace has placed significant power through Christ as the head for significant causes in the hands of the church, both local and global. What kind of power do we see manifest through the church? Just a few today and then I'm done. Well, we see the power to push back darkness in a real and meaningful way. We quote it often, but it's worth remembering that Jesus told Peter that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church as it stood on the truth of the gospel and its claims. 
Friends, we get to be colonies of heaven and countries of death. And the gates of hell are doing all they can to keep out the children of light, but those rickety gates won't hold. We are the ones actually humbly moving forward, making communities better and more just, setting the captives free, bringing light to dark spaces. You want to change the world? So do I. You know what the avenue for that, the best avenue for that is? Let's be the church. The church is the one that's, that, that's promised that the gates of hell won't prevail. No other organism is given that promise. The church is given that promise. Secondly, the church has the power to reach the nations in a way that not even colonial empires could reach the nations. In Matthew 28, the marching orders for the church were given, go to all the nations. In Matthew 24, Christ promised us that he had, that, that, that would be effective and that he would be with us in those endeavors. It will go. And so friends, listen. While many of us have been sitting here in the US over the past year wondering and worrying about the future state of Western evangelicalism and all of its trappings, <laughs> You know what our goers have been doing amongst the nations? They've been planting hundreds of churches, <laughs> seeing thousands of people come to Christ. They've been faithfully praying and serving and living as holy exiles and sojourners, not dominating the world with a nationalistic idea, but serving the nations of the world by giving them what they need. Communities of people committed to the life of Jesus and committed to belief in his gospel. Thirdly, the church has power to be part of Christ's perfecting work. I don't have time this morning. I'm, I'm out of time. But in Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that as we do this, as we live out in these communities, you know what will happen? We'll all grow up into likeness of Christ who is the head of the church. You know that God uses the church to make you more like Jesus. And the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowers the church towards that end. That is why the church is given tools of discipline and doctrine and community and accountability and shared creedal belief so that together, not on our own, together, we become more like Christ. Lastly, the church is given the power to prevail to the very end, the end of all things, new heavens, new earth. You know what's there? A community of believers from every tribe and from every tongue and from every nation, the great ecclesia gathered at the foot of the throne, singing praises for all eternity in the greatest church service you'll ever be part of forever and ever, amen, declaring the praises of the one who brought us together in the first place. Friends, the church, it just keeps going. Why? It's Christ's. And so you know what? We're gonna make it. <laughs> We're gonna make it together. All right, how do we respond today? Especially in a season when it isn't as easy to engage with the life of the church as it ordinarily is. Well, there's still some practical ways for us to respond today. Uh, one of those ways is, is we're launching an equipping class on evangelism. There'll be details uh, of that sent to you or, or on the screen now, even as, as you look. And it's, uh, it's an opportunity just to learn more together in a community as the church. Maybe you've never taken a, a class at the Orson Stone. Here's a great place to jump in. Uh, you, you're going to do that in community with other people through online forums. It's going to be an amazing opportunity to grow in your love for the church. Perhaps the number one way you can grow in your love for the church today is to join a group. Again, there will uh, be links uh, sent to you. There will be links on the screen if you're watching online. 
But we've got simple, simple avenues and pathways for you to get in a group now. And I know it's scary, and I know you're going, oh, gosh, I've tried this before and it didn't work. Do it again. <laughs> do it again. Because if we do it humbly in accordance with Ephesians 4, Ephesians 3 tells us that the heavenlies are aghast and astonished that people like you and me can love people unlike us in groups of believers together. Why? Because we're united under Christ. I'm going to finish by reading a prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Corinth. And so here at St. John, Brett and the band, you guys can come up and at the uh, congregations that are watching the stream, the bands can come up and get ready for us to worship. But I want to read this prayer that Paul prayed for the church in Corinth. If you know anything about church history, they were a disaster. (laughs) They were a mess of a church, to be sure. But they were a local manifestation of Christ's bride. This prayer can be an anchor for us if you're in the church. If you're part of that bride, as believers. uh, 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 Look at the encouragement it is to our soul. If you aren't yet part of that bride, you can become one today. You can become part of this potential laden community of faith. Look at Paul's certainty. Look at his prayer. He says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus. Church, I always thank God for you because of the grace that's given you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way. You're not lacking, church, in all speech, And in all knowledge, in this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that, listen church, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us everything that we need to flourish and to persevere. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you, you, us, will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father God, help us to believe your word. Help us to love your church. Remind us today that you love her, and so we too are called to love the bride. Give us a new posture of humility, of service, of love, of gentleness, of patience, and help us to be a people who just humbly live out the things that you've called us to live out so that the watching world and those beings in the heavenlies look on and say, oh, how wise is God. Look at the people he brought together. Lord, make us people of the way. the way of your son, Jesus Christ. Make us more like him because we are his and he is ours. Help us to live that out. In Jesus' name, amen.